Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hear Me See Me podcast is sponsored by Zenoti, the number one cloud software for salons and spas. Because when people feel good, they find their greatness. I am Stuart Roberts, and I'm really excited to introduce my new podcast, Hear Me See Me. It's just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people. Some of the people that work in some of these places, many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. I had this idea after being inspired by a guy in America I'd seen cutting hair on the streets and seeing the difference it made to the guys who were there. This is more than a job. This is a calling. Hello, this is Stuart from Hear Me See Me Podcast. Um, Today I've got someone who's started as an acquaintance. She's become a friend of mine. Um, we met when I, she asked me to come along and do a haircuts for homeless session at a wonderful outreach. Uh, so today I'm talking to Marie Edmonds. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Uh, thank you for giving up. I've, I've dragged I've dragged Marie out on a Sunday evening, and she's she she, she said it's only because me she's come and done it because <laughs> Sunday oh, evenings are sacred. Anyone else would have got a flat nose. <laughs> no, right. Well, I appreciate it. My wife won't too happy either, but uh, I've left her watching Celebrity from last night. Um, right, so we'll go to the beginning. We'll start off with like how we met because through a friend, you reached out to me about coming to do some hair at the outreach. Um, and we did one session in the summer, which I really liked at your at your drop in place. Yeah. And then you done you organised this really great outdoor. Yeah. Um, event like Ladies Pamper Day and we came along for that um, which was very hectic because I had no volunteers turn up I, had a, I think I had a queue of about 30 I managed about 20 and then I ran out of time but um, it was a great it was a great day wasn't it that one yeah it was it was it was a bit special yeah I think there was over 150 people turned up that day was there yeah right yeah Right, yeah, I don't doubt it. It was a bit, I mean, it was a baking hot day, wasn't it? I was sweating. I was in the front car park and I was going, I was like Edward Scissorhands. It was fucking air flying everywhere, wasn't it? So, yeah. <laughs> but um, I wanted to say, because, you know, like, people, people like to hear stories um, about people. Uh, this podcast is about that. It's about special people. Um, and even I've not heard your full story, so I, I'm really intrigued. Take me right back to the beginning. Give me give me your story. So before I uh, share a bit of my past, I don't justify or blame my using on any life experiences that happened to me. I believe mm. I've become an addict because of... Don't get me wrong, there were rhymes and reasons and there was pain I was trying to numb. Mm. Um, and I don't just, I'm accountable and I'm by no means a victim of my pasture. I'm very much a survivor. Um, so my dad left when I was four. 
you know, I believe in the seeds of addiction being planted for us when we were children. Um, for, for most people I know who, who suffered from alcoholism or addiction, I'm not saying all. Um, and my dad left when I was four. And from then, I always felt very different. I didn't feel like, I felt like there was something wrong with me. And I became very needy and I became very clingy. My mum suffers from alcoholism, so she would, the alcohol would get in the way of her being able to hug us, love us, like in, in a bedroom in blackout. And if we tried to go in there, we'd get told to get out. So there's that rejection. Um, and we used to get sent to school. <coughs> no, not, we, we was neglected for our alcoholism. And that was very apparent to other children as well. Um, so I never, I felt like a square peg trying to fit in a round hole. It was very apparent that things were different for us at home. Um, and with that, abusers came into the home. There was sexual, mental, emotional abuse that went on. And I started to steal food. And I used to eat it and keep it a secret. So my primary addiction was food. Mm. I used to feel... The first time I was took home by the police, I was eight years old. And that's the first bit of shame I can remember properly feeling. Mm. But it wasn't even my shame to carry. Um, and then from that, I, like, my mother always used to say to me, what is wrong with you? And she'd go through periods of getting sober with no help from anyone. So she was very much a dry drunk. Um don't get me wrong, I love my mum dearly and she suffers from the same thing I suffer with. Um, by the time I was 13, I'd picked up my first drink on the South End Seafront. My first drug was acid um, and I had undiagnosed borderline personality disorder. And um, this stuff made me feel better for a little while. I, I was all right for a little while. Didn't last mm. long, but and I felt better and I felt like I could function and I just became. <clears throat> they couldn't manage me, so I went through a period of foster care. By the time I was 15, I was pregnant and I hid my pregnancy from the world. Nobody knew I was pregnant. I was very good at keeping secrets. And in that process, I went back home when I did have my when I did have my boy, <coughs> um, my mum was very good with me actually. She got all the, you know, she went round all her friends, got all the stuff, and I tried so hard to love and care for this baby, but I hadn't been loved and nurtured that well. Don't get me wrong, there were periods where my mum did to the best of her ability, really try, but I didn't know how to love or nurture this baby. So between me and my mum, we agreed that when I was 16, I would leave home. And I was sofa surfing and in and out of hospital since 16. And really romantically met my <laughs> my husband in a um, in a criminal justice hospital. He'd just come out of prison. You can't make this stuff up. And um, he gave me my first bit of heroin. And for years, that man got the blame. It was his fault. It was hellfire and condemnation. It's not his fault. You know, I've, I've got this disease that I live with. Um, if it weren't him, it, I'd have found it some other way. Um, yeah. 
and it just took everything, all that pain, everything was gone. And again, that worked for a little while, a little while. Mm. Um, and I had two other children in that process, and then he got quite a long prison sentence around him when I was going up and down to all these different jails across the country. Um, and I was so codependent. So, so I used to ring up the jail. He didn't ring me, saying, can you get him to ring me? So my, my disease manifests in many different forms. Um, so I was trying to manage this drug habit, trying to keep his in prison, trying to look after these children, and that I was getting rapidly into debt. And um, today they call it cookery. Right. Back then, in 1999, it just didn't have a label. Yeah. So very de- dealers took over my house to pay off this debt. They wanted to sell. I, I was 18 years old with two children. I was very vulnerable. At the time, I wouldn't have seen that. Um, so I turned to prostitution. There was a red light area around the back of my house in the south end. Yeah. The only, only way I could see out of it was selling myself. And as I was walking... It's so surreal when I think about it. It's like something from a film, and I can still disassociate with it today. I can remember walking onto that red light area and thinking, well, it don't matter anyway, because he's already taken it from me. And I was thinking about my abuser when I, from when I was little, and it's just, it's like, honestly, it's like a film in my head. Um, and I just went out of control. I had access to money, obviously, every night, and I smashed myself to pieces. And my children were removed from my care, quite rightly. I wish my children were removed from my care quicker, if I'm honest, because the guilt and shame of losing them children almost killed me. Like, I went in, when I thought rock bottom couldn't go any lower, but every time... (laughs) What bottom had a tra- trap door every other time just got worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, and I was in and out of prison, I weren't in prison, I was on the red light. It's just a cycle of addiction. Then homelessness kicked in, but I was the type of um, I was quite a resourceful drug addict, so even though I didn't have a tenancy or a roof over my head, um, I'd pay someone to sleep on their sofa. I never actually hit a night on the streets, luckily. Um, And it was just this cycle shirt of pain, carnage. And I would, you know, I didn't care who I hurt to get my drugs. Um, And and with me as well, I used to oblivion. And in the end, those drugs stopped working, so I picked up alcohol. And alcohol... Is worse than any bit of crack cocaine I've taken. Any bit of any drug in alcohol is the worst than all of it. It took me to some internal spiritual decay that sometimes I can never put into words. I swear I see the devil. I don't want to go back there. Mm. Um, and in 2014, I went off. I, I went off to a treatment centre. They successfully detoxed me off the alcohol and I left and I got clean. And I was still really angry. For the first three years of my recovery, I was really, really angry. Mm. And I couldn't work out what was going on with me. I didn't get it. You know, people couldn't hug me. People couldn't come near me. Like, oversensitive. I felt like 
I felt like everything was an attack. And I struggled to maintain friendships. Like, so I went and see a mental health professional and I got a diagnosis of complex PTSD, along with the borderline personality disorder. Mm. When I got them, I was I was so relieved because I really thought it was, yes, I've got a Marie problem, but I just thought I weren't a very nice problem person, sorry, and but now I had something to work with. Now I've got these diagnoses, those two diagnoses, the healing could begin. And I've sat in a lot of intense therapy. I've done a lot of EMDR. I've gone off to a lot of retreats, trauma retreats. I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of research and I've done a lot of healing. But this is where it comes to aspirations. I believe, like if I says, oh, you're so wonderful. You set up this project. You go and help the women. It gives me more. Them women give me more than what I could ever give them. <laughs> Makes me really emotional. Yeah. Like, you can't put a price on it. You can't. Uh-huh. Like that day you come in, like, they were coming in there, they didn't trust you, and I don't want him touching me. Do you know what I mean? But with a bit of gentle encouragement, we, we built that trust up. It's like, and that's that's because of the trauma they've been through with men because of how they earn their money. Mm. You know, so a bit of reassurance. Now, then women walked out of there looking like completely different women. Do you know what I mean? They had smiles on their faces, beautiful haircuts. You know, that is priceless. You can't put a price on that. Uh-huh. You know, and... The, the, the job pin is my biggest thing, of course it is, because I'm, you know, I do outreach onto the red light area that I used to work on. And yeah. you do hear of women exit, but you don't hear of many women going to do outreach back on the corner they used to stand on. Yeah. Or if there's women I do know that have worked in services, the same as mine, outreach services, and their lived experience... They don't last that long. I've done this nearly two years now, and there have been some points where I'm like, this is hard work, but I just keep going, just keep plodding. Um, and, yeah, as I said, the, the women's service is, like, my most precious, precious thing. I love them women dearly. But also the day programme where people are, you know, people are coming to us a couple of days, clean, and they're staying and they're graduating and... Yeah. Going off to college, then they got, they're coming back and telling me they've got work <laughs> and they're working. Yeah. It just blows my mind. Like yeah. and and we've got the family support bit as well. Do you know what I mean? I don't yeah. forget my family members. Don't forget the people I hurt. Yes, my mum hurt me, but I hurt her as well. Mm. She's drove past me when I've been stood on that red light area. No mother wants to see their daughter stood on the corner selling herself for the price of a frigging happy meal. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, like, it's my men... It's all different parts of amends that I make. Mm. These projects, I don't have much involvement with the family support, but I created it, I set it up. It's yeah. my idea. <coughs> um, and it's nice just to give family members that space. Yeah. The space to go in South End where people can just go, feel welcomed, feel, feel comfortable... Um, 
Yeah, but it, it gives me, I can't t- like I can't put in, I can't vocalise what it gives me. The healing process, I don't walk around angry no more. Or if I do get feeling angry, because I'm absolutely exhausted, don't act out on that anger. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get I, that. I can feel anger today without it having to come out like a bomb. Yeah. Yeah, it's done so much to me. I can't, like, and all that, all that has come from my pain. There's not an ounce of my pain that's been wasted. It's all been used for good. Yeah. Every single drop of it. People, people do say to me, oh, do you regret your past? Absolutely. Absolutely regret it. I hurt a lot of people in that process. Yeah. But I'm grateful for the lessons, you know, and I'm grateful yeah. that it can help others. I think I was smiling and I wasn't, I was obviously not, I didn't think it was funny. I was just smiling because I was associating with it when you said people, the first thing you said was when you said people um, say what a lovely person you are for doing all this and they don't understand. And it, but I did. And that's why I was smiling because, you know, people say it about me and they go, oh, what a lovely bloke. My, my kids go, Cool, if I ain't bloody New Year, <laughs> <laughs> miserable old get you up. And the thing is, it is, I, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I knew how much this meant to me when it was taken away. Those sort of four months, that second lockdown got me. You know, that the first one, I was shitting myself like everyone else. I was thinking, oh, my God, what, you know, it's a world ending and all that. By then, we realised it wasn't. But when they shut us down and I couldn't go out and I couldn't do what, we, we just couldn't cut the hair then. Um, and I couldn't do anything. And it, it, I have really struggled. I struggled and I realised because this, I realised then how much this helps me and I know it will you as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of where, so I'd started setting up the day programme before lockdown. And it was always in the vision to do the outreach. Um, it was always there. I always wanted to do something for the women. And when we went into lockdown, I knew that we was going to lose everything, all the work I'd done. So that's why I started the outreach. Mm. That. When I went to that outreach, when I went to the outreach for the women, you say about the red light districts and, and the working women, and I, I've I've learned a lot over this last couple of years because the last sort of I've been doing this seven years but probably the last three years I've been it's it's evolved into going to more places and you know working with um, street working girls and getting an understanding of it more what what, what's your view on um, like this what's your view on sex work then what what because this it, it raises so many different you know that's a good question, and um, I do get asked this question a lot. So as a trauma survivor and someone who has been seriously impacted by that, by sex work, um, so I really struggle to have intimate relationships with men. I've had two relationships in recovery, and they've just been train wrecks, um, not because of defects of character, because I just can't let people close to me and it's my, yeah. and it's my sexual trauma. Um, and there's still a lot of work being done there. 
And and these two men loved me dearly and they tried and they persevered. And when I'm having flashbacks and freaking out and screaming at them and storming out because they've touched me, they've gone to show me affection and they can't. So my views on it is I feel very sad for women that believe um, they do it as work because there's other ways to earn money. I emphasise and understand why they do it. So you've got, <laughs> you've got people in a really rubbish benefit system and the only way they can see their cells, survival sex it's called. Um, I feel sad for them because there's other ways and I don't think they realise the harms they're causing themselves. Mm. Um, I don't believe one woman who's got an addiction problem goes and does that by choice. Because I've lost jobs in recovery. I've been flat, broke, skin, And not once has it gone through my head to go up there and sell myself. Not once. Mm. I've had my kids on at me for money when I've lost work. Not once has mm. it crossed my thinking. I believe it's exploitation. I don't view it as work. When I'm in a professional setting, I will say women that sell sex. So mm. I don't view it as work. It's just, I've just only because um, they're so with the advent of things like OnlyFans and you know, and I know that's not sex work. That that's just that's something sort of you know, like it's it's not physically selling selling yourself. But then there's an element of you know, uh, do you still sell a piece of yourself? Even you know, even if it's not physically physical contact, are you selling a little bit of yourself? I just. Um, I wonder where that. I wonder where it's all going with that. Only fans. I'm really not a fan. Really not. No. No. Um, I think you just said it. Every time there's an exchange like that, it's CD. It's CD. There's nothing glamorous about it. You see it for what it is. It's CD. Yeah. You are selling a part of your soul, and that's why I ended up near thinking I was seeing the devil in the mirror because I'd sold my soul. Yeah, I feel, now there's 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 be positive about this because there's, there's something I find that when I work in a because because your yours is not the only one I go to and I you know we go to this wonderful place in Peterborough and there's and I've I've worked you know we have a whole session and it'd be girls from the street and they come and there's something like this camaraderie they've got you know this sort of brave wonderful humour that and I tell you what happens with us particularly our sessions that we bring to it is that it, it, they're very guarded and they're very you know and understandably they've got a very very harsh exterior you know and they're very sort of almost aggressive and 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 you know um and then and guarded and then we get there and and as as gradually it increases and, and more people are having their hair done and gradually maybe a bit of music going, and then all of a sudden they're like, and a lot of these are young girls, they're like my daughter's ages. That's what you know, to me, they're like, these are kids. I mean, I'm an old git, but they, they these are kids, you know, these are just kids. And all of a sudden you hear the, the mood lift and the laughter. And the, and it's almost like an atmosphere of like a party or a hen party or a pre-drinks and you know and yet to me you then see their authentic self come out. Yeah. You then see the person 
that's that's underneath all that come out and I think it's such a beautiful it's such a privilege to see be part of that but then there was one recently this year that my sister saw more than I did and this is one that my sister took home this is the one that she the journey home in the car that she carried with her was this and she was a very very attractive not no matter I suppose but a very attractive young woman came you know and she'd been and we done her hair and she looked great, you know, like we'd done all the hair and she looked beautiful. And she sat and had a coffee and they gave her a sandwich. And then she did, she was in no rush to leave. So we was doing other people and then she's sitting there. And my sister said, she kept looking over to her and she looked so tired. She said, she's never seen a woman look so, even though we made her look good physically, she said, she's never seen someone look so tired and she gradually relaxed, and she looked like she could fall asleep at the, t- the table. Then all of a sudden, the, the, the text came, and you see her whole thing, her whole demeanour change. She had to go, you know? And, and people need to know this. You know, it isn't fucking pretty woman. I hate that film. Yeah, it's feel. not fucking pretty woman. It's like this... This is, this, you know, like the power that that other person makes have on this human being to change, to, to, to show that fear, like one text message, the whole body language changes, you know. Um, I'm, just, I'm just so glad we can just bring even an hour's respite, you know. I'm grateful for that too. And we do have women come into our service and they would just lay down on the sofa and go to sleep because they feel safe in there. Mm. They feel safe. They're coming. They make, they're having a cup of coffee. And these are some of the most entrenched women. And that defensiveness and that, that's a trauma response. That's, they're, they're in constant fight mode. They have to be. They're so hypervigilant. These women risk their lives night in, night out, mm. night in night out and the heartbreaking thing of it is they're numbing the pain from the perpetrator I have never ever met a woman who sells sex that hasn't been through some kind of sexual or physical abuse so Mm. they're numbing the pain Mm. and I've really tried to break this down with our community as well to get them the amount of residence meetings I've attended and don't get me wrong I've completely emphasised with the residents, yeah. I think the world of my women, but I wouldn't want one of them stood outside my house creating a noise. And, you know, and I emphasise and I do understand and they have children, you know, they've, but they, people get a bit shocked when I say, these women deserve nothing but kindness and respect when they walk into a room. Mm. Um, what they go through in a day People would die at the first hour. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's painful. It's a really painful life that they live. Mm. We have exited one woman, though, I'm very pleased to say. She's now 32 days off street drugs. You did cut her hair as well, but I won't say it. Of course, yeah, of course. Yeah, but I will tell you. Um, And she's just got her own flat, and today she sent me all photos of a really nice flat. Lovely. Two months ago, she was rough sleeping. Yeah. 
So I haven't been on red light area for two months. Brilliant. Doing really well. Yeah. Early doors. Very early doors. Yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah, because life happens. Life throws things at us and, uh, you know, you never know. You never know. No matter how long you've been going, I've, like I say, I'm 15 years in and, you know, you're only, I can only do what I can do today. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't be. And this year I've had, you know, I know, it's not about me to talk, but I've had the most, been an amazing, it's been a wonderful year this year in one way, but I've had the most horrendous year. Uh, and I've never been so near a breakdown as I was this year. And bearing in mind, two, two years ago or three, three years ago, three years ago that I lost my business that I'd had for 30 years. And I thought that was going to be bad until I had this year come. <laughs> and then you think, and, and it, but it's this work. This work keeps me, keeps me straight, keeps me alive. Because for a couple of hours, I go out there and I realise, I realise that a, I'm not important because the uh, trouble is I start thinking I am and pe- people start telling me I'm important. Yeah, that's the worst thing to do to me. Yeah. And then secondly, I realised that how absolutely lucky I am. The, the gratitude, is, and you showed it right at the beginning of your talk just now, the gratitude you've got only comes from sharing other people's lives, you know, and, and helping them through what they're going through. I can see the love and respect you've got, but then it's because you've been there. You know. Want to get out? Yeah. Um, <laughs> What's cat's... that? The cat? Yeah, scratching to go out. You have to wait a minute. Um, I get the most gratitude this time of year because it's freezing out there up on yeah. that light area. It's horrible, especially when you're withdrawing. Oh, like it, the cold bites you. I cannot explain. Yeah. And when you've got buyers driving around with the power and control, like summing up what, you know, bargaining, bargaining over which which kills your self-esteem even more. Yeah. You know, what that does to your self-esteem, like men. I've never thought of that. I've never thought of that. It's horrible. So what? you're saying, like, you know, 50 quid and a guy and I... So you're saying I'm worth fifty quid, and then they're saying no, thirty quid. So they're sort of so they're saying you're only worth. Well, sorry, I'll do it. Make it me maths easy for myself. Twenty five quid. So you, you, what? I'm only worth half of what you're even. I think I'm worth. Yeah, and offering you an extra fiver to do it about condom. Oh yeah, I'll risk your life for you. you, you yeah, your life's worth a fiver. Yeah. So you've got all that going on. You've got the power and control. Yeah. Um, when I go and do outreach and I've got the choice to go home after, that is when I've got the most gratitude. I can walk down that red light area today and I yeah. choose when I go home. Yeah. Powerful. Powerful. And I always go back onto my old corner and say a little prayer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh <sighs> <laughs> I thought, I thought it's actually I thought it's exactly how I thought it was going to be. I know I'll be I know I'll be leaving here with all the uh, the airs on me and I'm standing up. But um, so the thing is, uh, you know, that you're living proof 
I'm living proof yeah. that um, if you maybe take time to help someone else, you might help yourself a little bit. Yeah. And that's the most we can do, really. Yeah. That's why I opened Christmas Day as well. What we were saying earlier, so we opened Christmas Day for the women. And I, I don't do that first. My first thought ain't to do that for the women. I can't stand Christmas. I've had children that are adopted who I'm not in touch with. So the last thing I want to be doing is sat at home scrolling through Facebook looking at everyone's happy Christmas gifts. <laughs> so I'll get up and look at our work. Yeah. And help them. Yeah. But it's just an action, right? Yeah, yeah. 100%. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take any more of your precious evening. I'm going to go and make my wife a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> She, you've made me feel even more she deserves one now. Um, putting up with me. But, um, oh, you're lovely. Stop it. <laughs> thank you very much, my darling. Um, you're welcome. And what we'll do, make sure you email me after. I want to uh, put, we're, we're going to put all these, all these, um, all the links to these wonderful things that you do are going to go on the, on the podcast link at the bottom. So, uh, you know, give my love to everyone there. I'll send some goodies via our friend. <laughs> Lily said it. I send some good goodies via our friend. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah, you know, j- yeah, just send everyone my love. And uh, thanks for giving up your evening. No, thank you for asking me. And we get you in in the new year. Yeah, we'll be back. Thanks a lot. See you later, Sue. Bye bye. Just over five years ago. I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realized, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. This is more than a job, this is a calling. 